The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and Merry Christmas, Kansas City. I am Steven Serta. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. Had to change up the schedule a little bit this week as the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Seattle Seahawks on Saturday at noon. So Best of the Week is coming at you a little bit early. We're going to start things off with the Arrowhead Pride editor show, talking about their marinated takeaways from the Chiefs' overtime win over the Houston Texans. After that, it's out of structure, talking defensive big picture moving forward for the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, it's the Great British Chiefs show. They've got our first full Seahawks preview of the week. Then we're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll catch up with Chiefs Coast to Coast talking about the MVP frontrunner and why it's Patrick Mahomes. After that, we'll finish things up with Show and BK discussing what the Chiefs need to do when they have the ball on Saturday. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Yep, it's that time. We, we have our, our music playing here. We love our, our marinated takeaway music and of course, it's the perfect segue to, to get going on what was a strange, one of the stranger Chiefs games that you'll see, a 30-24 to 24 overtime win in Houston against the Texans. As Steve mentioned a little bit earlier, Patrick Mahomes played magnificently in this game, 36-41 for 336 yards and two touchdowns. The Chiefs had over 500 net yards. Normally a game where you would think if you just saw those two statistics, you'd be like, oh, the Chiefs won by... By 20, by by 40. Nope, not mm-hmm. to be. A 30-24 to 24 win for Kansas City. So, strange game. John, we're going to start with you for for the first Mariner to take away, as we always do. What did, you, what did you think about this win? Well, I'm very disappointed in the post-game conversation that is centered on Carl Cheffers. Now, I'm not going to claim that Carl Cheffers has been uh, nice to the Chiefs over the years. I don't think that's fair. I think he's made a lot of calls that people have had issue with, and I think that's okay to disagree with the referee's call. A lot of these things are judgment calls. There's always going to be d- disagreement about it. But I'm I'm really frustrated by this idea that uh, because Cheffers isn't necessarily the best re- referee in the league, that this just proves that the whole thing is corrupt and the that the referees are doing something to help Vegas make money. That's just crazy to me The the whole idea that uh, odds makers need NFL referees to help them make money is ridiculous. Okay. The whole point of a point spread, I have to say this like all the time to people is to get an equal amount of money on both sides of the wager. And that way, no matter which way the way the game goes, the bookmaker gets the vig and they make money. That's how that's how this works. So getting a referee to make it so that some team doesn't cover the spread doesn't really help them. They've already done everything they need to do in order to be helped. And so yeah. this idea that it's all corrupt is just crazy to me. And it, and it makes me crazy because we're not talking about the team. We're talking about the officials. Yeah. And stuff that's got nothing to do with the game. I think what adds juice to the conspiracy theory is the Tim Donaghy thing happening in the NBA. But that was a very isolated thing that Mm -hmm. was weird. I don't believe that there's a conspiracy going on in the NFL. I I, the Carl Cheffers thing, 
does he have a vendetta against the Chiefs? He calls a lot of penalties against the Chiefs, and this yeah. is the mm-hmm. this is the referee that Travis Kelsey said didn't belong in a Footlocker years ago. <laughs> this is also the referee where you had thousands and thousands of people at Arrowhead Stadium booing him and saying that he sucks, and he was so disheartened by it that he had like half a voice as he was announcing a penalty against the opposing team with that whole Chris Jones situation earlier in the season. And so could you convince me that maybe Carl Sheffers is not the friendliest when it comes to judgment calls on Kansas city. Okay. Yeah. But I don't think it's in this grants conspiracy to have money. I actually right. had a marinated takeaway on the referees a little bit different than yours. So I'll just go to that one. That was going to be my second one, but I'll just read it now. I think it's more of an idea of not really being a complaint about Sheffers or going against the chiefs or conspiracy. It's just a complaint about flags in general. I might have sure. said this before that I'm remembering. It's just too many flags. And it's not even in this Chiefs-Texans game. It's across the league this year. I don't mm-hmm. know what has to be done and what conversations can happen in the offseason for this to change. But it's just been, generally speaking, and I watch a lot of ball, like when the Chiefs aren't playing and there is an isolated game and I can, I'll, I'll be watching. And it's, and it's been in every game that I've I've taken in this year and it just makes for a way less entertaining product mm-hmm. I hate to be that guy that's like let the boys play but it really <laughs> let let it be decided on the field no, no, like of course people will get upset you saw in the Washington New York Giants game last night where there was a very clear non-call that Look, it was at the end of the game. It was a bang-bang play. Washington shouldn't have let it come down to that. But people are way less angry about a non-call than a referee throwing a flag in a big spot. A lot of times it happens in the end zone, and then all of a sudden it changes the course of the game, and then you see the replay, and you're like, you know, that's pretty soft. So I just think they're just... I think there generally needs to be a shift to less flags one way or another. I'm not sure how the NFL gets there, but I... I think those discussions need to be had. And a lot of times they're ha- they're happened in the off season where the competition, this is, this is why there's a competition committee. They get together to talk about these things. And I, there just needs to be less referee involvement in general. It just feels like this year in particular, it's just been too many flags in chiefs games and across, across the NFL. So that's, that's my initial merit. Well, you know, I think part of the trouble is, is that we're in a position that we can make the calls ourselves you know, and that wasn't always the case. I'm old enough to remember when instant replay wasn't a thing, you right. know, and I, I wasn't a quick point on that, John. You know, what's always funny to me is now you still have you still have receivers and tight ends and running backs that are that catch the football and try to fake it. Sometimes it's like you can't fake it anymore because <laughs> like, yeah, right. you in back in that back in time, you used to be able to fake it and fool the ref and there was no right. way to reverse it. Anyway. Right. And, 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 but the thing is that there were bad calls in those days too, but there was always an element of uncertainty about it. You know, that there'd be an editorial about it by the sports columnist in the paper the next day, because the call should have obviously been the other way, mm-hmm. but there was always uncertainty about that. Right. And now, you know, we get to, we get to make the call in slow motion and high definition. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it sometimes wasn't easy to tell even on the replay whether somebody got his foot in bounds or not, because, you know, you were talking about, you know, low definition television with 525 lines of revolution is resolution. And sometimes you couldn't tell on the replay even. And right. now though, you know, it's anybody could do it if we're just looking at the video. And I think that's part of what's going on here is that the referees are being held to such a high standard that they can't compete with it. And I don't think that means the answer is to have the games officiated through, you know, video from New York, because there's always going to be guys who get it wrong. I mean, even, even on a typical uh, review call, you know, two guys watching, they're going to have different views of what the call should be. So you're always going to have these problems. I wonder sometimes if we'd be better off if we just, let the referees call the play and that's going to what it's going to be. But, you know, with modern technology available, we're not going to stop instant replay. They're going to show them over and over again. if They're wrong. So well, I don't I know do, what the answer is, but I agree with you. It's too much. I yeah. do think that 
the catch is still a mystery. I think this year roughing the passer has become quite a mystery. And oh, yeah. again, I just think there's too much referee impact. I'm not a mastermind. I'm not in on the competition committee. I don't know what the solution is. I just know in general it the game is less entertaining when there's so many yeah. flags. Yeah. I'm not oh, I agree with that. I'm, and I'm not saying that the Chiefs got screwed or anything or the referees were trying to whatever. If you think that, you think that. But I'm just I'd rather there just be less flags in general. So anyway. Let's continue on with marinated takeaways. I'm sure we're going to gear now more towards the game, John. So what do you have for number two? Yeah, I, I would not like to be Steve Spagnolo today because everybody's complaining about the defense. The defense actually played pretty well yesterday. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the numbers uh, from yesterday's game, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, the 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 Texans averaged three point four yards a rush. Yeah. Um they they averaged uh let's see I bring up the right thing here. Um 219 yards total, 3.8 yards per play on the day. Um you know, 4.2 yards a pass. I mean the 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 their third down wasn't great, but it was only 4 of 10 and after the game people are talking about like the chiefs had just allowed the Texans to run over them at will. And that's not really what happened. They had a couple of really short fields that resulted in touchdowns. I mean, one of them was what 17 yards <laughs> and the other was at midfield from those, uh, those fumbles. And then they had one long drive. They had one 80 yard drive for a touchdown. And then another one, I think was 65 yards and they held them to a field goal. That's a pretty good day for the defense. You know, you can't do much about what happens when the offense uh, gives the defense a short field. I mean, it'd be great if the defense could hold the Texans mm -hmm. to a field goal when they have a 17-yard field to run, but that's just not likely to happen. It's just too easy, you I, know? Yeah, I, I, I think when you look at the yardage differential in this game, it's just it's confusing that it, it took overtime because the Chiefs, again, had 502 yards to the Texans 219. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's usually pretty good. You lost a turnover battle, which we've talked about on this this podcast before. And this plays into my second takeaway. And it's just, it's trying to stay positive. I wrote, wrote in my rapid reaction after this game, I think there are some very real, tangible problems against the Chiefs. And I am going to list them here, what I, what I think. I think it's inexperience in coverage at times, which is going to happen. You're playing two rookies in the nickel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not turning the ball over which has become a bug yeah. Harrison Bucker in the kicking operation, which we can, can discuss in a, in a second here and then offensive line play, especially in the tackles and when pass blocking. Cause I, I think they're, they're, they've gotten better in, in run blocking because you're starting to see Isaiah Pacheco really, I think have some room, which mm. really hasn't happened consistently throughout the year. Um, the pocket though, it seems like it, 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 it always breaks down. I mean, it, it's pretty consistently breaking down. And a lot of times it's because of the, the tackle play. I think three of those four problems are fixable. That's where I'm trying to stay positive. And I think you'll start to see the results in the final scores once they start to get better at these things. And that was the inexperienced coverage. That, that's naturally going to continue to have more experience over sure. the next three mm -hmm. weeks as you yeah. enter the playoffs. Not turning the ball over. Ball security is fixable. It's annoying as hell right now what the Chiefs are doing. But that is a fixable problem that from a week-to-week -week basis you can improve. This Harrison Butker kicker operation, I have more notes on this in a second. I'll get to that, but I believe that is fixable. And then the unfixable thing right now is just seems the quality of the tackles. And that's why I continue to say, I just wonder if at, at some point Lucas Niang gets inserted in there just to see. I feel like as the weeks goes on, I know, John, you've had points about this in the past. It seems less and less likely because the Chiefs just keep winning. And it seems like Andy Reid sticks with his offensive line when the Chiefs are winning. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, the offensive line, especially in pass protection, could be better. We had that busted blitz pickup by Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to get better as time goes on. You see the value of Jarek McKinnon. I don't want to spoil that point because that's my last takeaway. But back to the kicker operation, what I found interesting last night is Dustin Colquitt, an old friend, a very familiar mm -hmm. friend to Kansas City, yeah. taken, taken to Twitter. We haven't written this up, but I'm, I plan to when we're done with this podcast. Uh, Dustin Colquitt weighing in on Tommy Townsend, not Harrison Butker. Harrison Butker's now missed a couple kicks in this last stretch of games, one extra point in this game, obviously a key field goal in this game. 
This is what Colquitt had to say about the holding operation. Townsend is an exceptional punter, dot, 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 dot. If you look back at the holds on the extra point, the laces are facing the sidelines, and on the missed 50-plus yarder, he pulled the ball to him at the last second and forced the ball to go to the right. He's been missing the spot all year. This is a, you can quote Ace Venturi on the laces out type of deal, but there's a certain <laughs> way to be to correctly hold the football. And, and Dustin Colquitt is saying that Townsend is putting Butker in a bad spot, which if you really dig into Dave Tobe's comments throughout the year, when Butker has missed, he does always talk about the operation. Not always, yes. but a lot of the times mm-hmm. he'll talk yep. about the operation. And with Colquitt kind of coming out and saying this, maybe this was Tobe's way of, of protecting his guy in a way, but he's very straightforward. And I know he's going to be asked about this on Wednesday this week because it's different, different. Usually mm-hmm. it'll be Thursday, yeah. but it's Wednesday this week. And so we'll see what he says, but I, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's Harrison Butker who's coming back from injury. Still the chiefs have been on sure. record and saying he's not going to be hundred percent. I think there's a mental aspect to his confidence right now. You're always going to be less confident when you're in a bad stretch like he is. But I do think there's something to this Townsend thing. Yeah. And now that I think it's out there, maybe the Chiefs can find a way to correct this in their final three weeks of the season. So you feel a little bit more confident with Butker as you enter the playoff. But the difference and the one thing I'm starting to worry about is not creating enough turnovers. And if they can flip that switch, I think that could be the difference. And I think I'll, I'll feel a lot more confident. But until they flip that switch, and I don't know if they even can, it, that's, I feel like could be the difference between a win or a loss in the postseason. Yeah, when it comes to the postseason, you're expecting to face better quarterbacks, better offenses, and you might have some more shootout-type games where the defense just needs to get right. two to three drives where they stop the other team, right? Like you, you expect a Bills-Chiefs game, each team to get over 30 points, and for the defense to really, at the end of the day, you need you need one stop. You know, you need one stop to get it done. I'm not sure yet that I have the confidence that on that game-winning drive, the Chiefs are going to be able to step up and stop a team. But if you look drive by drive, and I did this last week, and I feel the same way this week as I did last week, on a drive-by-drive basis, the Chiefs had, you know, multiple three and outs forced. They had other, several drives that ended in, in less than 10 or even zero yards by the uh, opposing offense. Most of the scoring drives were assisted by turnovers. So you had, if you look at the flow of this game, they had a four and out, a three and out, a one touchdown drive that was uh, aided uh, by a pass interference call. Then you had another punt forced, and then you had the short field touchdown. Then they forced a punt on five plays. They forced a three and out right after that. And then a touchdown on a, on a short field after a turnover. So I feel like, you know, without going drive by drive through the entire game, so you, you'd hope that the defense could step up whenever there's been a turnover and they could they could get a stop. But it, that doesn't seem to be happening. And then, yeah, when it comes down to the, the game-winning drives, this week you saw what you want to see. They forced a turnover. They set up the game-winning play. And the offense took advantage of it. That's what you want to see going forward for this team. I don't think you can expect them to be the number one t- defense in the league. I don't think you can expect them to be elite in forcing turnovers. I think going forward, what you want to see is them to continue forcing a handful of th- three and outs in a game and then make a play on that, on that drive down the stretch. That's a formula that this defense can win with. They're not going to be a – you know, complete shutdown defense. They might not even be a bend, don't break defense. Uh, they right. they might just need to be clutch. No, that's what I've always said, right? Is, is That's what I've always said is the volatility to me is actually a good thing with this offense. You don't want a bend or break, don't break defense. And I think there is some misconception with that. I don't necessarily think Spags is a bend, don't break type of player, type of coach. I think a lot of the things you're seeing this year that maybe seem like more bend or break style is because he has a lot of young guys in his secondary and a lot of young guys is trying to protect with how he's calling the plays. So, But in his mind and, and where he wants to be, he wants to be that wild card, that chaos creator, that, you know, sending the blitz at weird times and kind of all out blitzing when maybe you shouldn't be and, and, and kind of forcing the quarterback to make a throw. That's who he wants to be. And, and that's where who he'll be, I think. Or that's who I hope he will be in the postseason because that's, that's, I think, what you're just saying, right, is being clutched. That, that's where it comes. 
you know, making a big play because you, you blitz the guy when they weren't expecting it or, you know, disguising a coverage and then dropping into another one and confusing the quarterback. And, you know, that's, that's the stuff he can do. And it just seems like, you know, this, that's something I think he may be uh, kind of holding back a little bit, although I don't want to say too much because um, I do think – I don't think he's holding back much, I should say. I just think maybe he could be a little more, uh, you know, um, hectic, you know, in the postseason when he wants to be. But that's why I think it does come down to the players. And, and maybe, you know, this is a question we can get into right here about the specific game stacks, and I'll ask you from Thomas Ramirez. What was more disappointing on the defensive side, the lack of pass rush or the penalties they got? Because, I, you know, I, I, the penalties you can say is, an, is a, you know, an execution thing by the players. The pass rush you can say is an execution thing. Um, but what did you come out with more disappointed about in this game specifically? Well, it's 100% the penalties, and I, I'm not blaming the refs. I'm going to start right there. This is this is one of those games where you come out of it saying it was ridiculously lopsided on, on the penalties, and the penalties were in key you know, third downs throughout the defensive drives. Uh, when they gave up touchdowns, when they gave up field goals, the only time this this defense gave up any points this week other than that uh, 17-yard touchdown after the fumble, the only time they gave up points is when they had penalties on third down. Right. So they had stops, they made stops, and then they couldn't get off the field because of penalties. So whether that's a discipline issue for this defense and combine that with a crew that just apparently – cannot help themselves uh, when it comes to throwing penalties. And then you've got a recipe for extending drives. And and to me, it was as simple as that on the defensive side of the ball. I think the pass rush is getting a little bit underrated at this point. They're not putting up crazy stats. Um, and sure, you can always point to several plays where they didn't get enough pressure uh, when, when you would like to see it. But they are getting pressure – you know, at times they are putting up, you know, from a season perspective, just historical context. They're, they're putting up more pressures, more sacks than they have in recent years. I, I think just watching the game, I feel like there's enough times where they get good pass rush that I'm not in a panic about the pass rush uh, inadequacy. I just feel like they got to clean it up. And to your point on the defense, on the back end of things, I've heard some talk and I think it's, it's probably has some truth to it. I wonder if you've seen this on film in your reviews that the coverage scheme on the back end has been pretty basic, pretty vanilla. Right. Um, and when you've got three rookies on the field at any given time in the secondary, there's, that's probably the reason for that. Right. I still think it's an interesting comparison with previous years when you've had a lot of blown coverages, a lot of, you know, just embarrassing, you know, man, man-to-man man losses in previous years to go along with those turnovers. I haven't seen much of that this year. I feel like they're, they've been, you know, in the ballpark of the receivers most of the time. And there's – and maybe some of that is related to – maybe some of the lack of turnovers is related to the way that they're playing in the secondary from a, from a schematic standpoint. No, yeah, I think – connecting those pieces is is the right way to look at it because yeah i i i mentioned that you know you it feels like spags is more bend don't break right now and i don't think he naturally is but you're right i think he has rookies in his secondary and he's trying to protect them he's not trying to go crazy with his coverage calls he's trying to give them confidence by letting them you know get good at what the base plays are right what the what the normal play calls are right and and i think that is part of it and so maybe that dial does turn in the postseason and maybe we're waiting for that and maybe that's something i'm not giving him enough credit for is kind of you know, waiting, you know, giving his rookies time to grow up and mature in the system and then really get it going creative wise when it hits the playoffs. But in terms of Thomas's question on, on the pass rush, you know, the thing is, I, I came into this game kind of warning people in my five things to watch. I said it too. you know, the, the Texans do have a really good offensive line. They have two of the best offensive tackles in the NFL, um, at least duo wise. Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle is one of the best. And then Titus Howard is, is a good solid right tackle as well. Each of them had only allowed one sack each going into the, in going into the last game, you know, for the season. So I did kind of, I, I, I did put those out there and kind of say, Hey, if there's any production from the pass rush this week, 
it, it shouldn't it, it should maybe be looked at as a good thing. So that that's that's one thing I want to say on that. And and Chris Jones was not on his game this week. Right. Yeah, you know, no, he was not. Again, there was a reported illness. He he played yeah, he, that's true. Good call. He played a fair amount of snaps, but really was not a factor whatsoever. So if you didn't have much interior pass rush and you're relying just on the edges to get home, and they had two sacks on the day. It wasn't a, a banner day, you know, from a sack perspective, but you know, having some pressure without much of it, or if any, coming from Chris Jones is, you know, notable at least. Yeah, and I mentioned the offensive tackles, right? That, yeah, they're our edge defenders are are unfortunately some of our, you know, not as productive pass rushers and their best blockers are on the edge. So kind of a mismatch there. Unfortunately, there are there are playoff teams with good offensive tackles, so it's not the greatest excuse in the world, but Still, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Actually, I, I do think a lot, the penalties were really the more disappointing. And, and, and I'll ask Wolfpack's question here because, you know, along with penalties, uh, is it just me or does Carl Sheffers remind you of a blind date gone wrong and continues to hold a grudge that the Chiefs won't call him back? It's one yeah, way so, somebody got given a fake phone number or, you know, got, got ghosted or, you know, has been making up excuses or something. Yeah, no, that's – I'm not going down the path of saying that the game was rigged. I don't know that he has a grudge against the Chiefs per se, but it's start. It's a pattern. It's a pattern at this point yeah. for whatever the cause is. When he referees the Chiefs game, bad things happen, and way, way too many penalties get called. So I, I, I don't know the cause of that, um, you know, but it's it is a thing. And if, I will, if he's the referee for one of their playoff games, oh, I'm going to be worried. Yeah, me too. No, seriously. And and I saw something where he actually has, in the past, there have been, you know, it's you, he. I guess you can ref a third game of a team or you're supposed to or something. I don't know. But there's something like that. So there's actually a decent chance. Um, but, yeah, I, I will say, you know, I'm not I'm, – I'm with you. I'm not the type to ever, you know, I, I just think sometimes refereeing is just very poor. But this was one of those – one of those games where it was like, all right, what's going on here? Like, this is one of the only times I've ever felt like it truly felt like the ref had a personal kind of vendetta. I mean, you, you mentioned it as we were in the pre-show. I mean, they were they were picking up flags because they were throwing so many. Like, they want, you know, they wanted to keep if, throwing if flags on If us, their I default mean, is to throw a flag on every play, especially when right. the Chiefs are on defense. If that's the default, then there's a problem. And then, you know, Kansas City Star has a great uh, piece or a great um, – they, they, they get it from the post game that Willie Gay tells them, you know, he's kind of hearing the refs talk. And, and, you know, on that fumble, the Frank Clark fumble to, in overtime, you know, Willie Gay comes out with the ball, but I guess the refs were trying to still give it to Houston. So they, they were kind of saying blue ball. So that's why Willie really started jumping around and came out of the huddle and showing them the ball so they couldn't even have a, a discussion. You know, they couldn't even say – um, if it was blue ball. So I don't know, man. It, it is pretty a wild thing, man. Honestly, I thought there was a chance they overturned that. I, I thought there was a chance that they were going to say that the the Texan guy uh, possessed the ball and was on the ground and being touched before Gay reached in and, and grabbed it mm-hmm. uh, off of his crotchal region. Um, <laughs> it was – I thought there was a decent chance that that got overturned the way that the, that game was going. But it was uh, – it, it was – Insane. The one Thornhill illegal contact was nuts. The uh, the Jarek McKinnon block, you know, whatever that whatever that was called was, was a, a terrible call. I think. Yeah. There was just a number of really really questionable plays, and of course, another drive extending fifty five offsides penalty lined up <laughs> in the neutral zone was was just painful. But you know, this goes back years. This is not just a weird, fluky game this year. There's a reason that fans and pundits were worried that Sheffer's crew was was going to ref the, the Chiefs game. Uh, Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, same deal. The Chiefs, I think, had tw- 10, 12 penalties in that game uh, called against them. Yeah. Uh, historically, that crew has called more penalties against the Chiefs than any other team in the league and the, for the second most uh, number of yardage. Um he was the the ref on on the the Derek Carr uh, um, Chris Jones fumble uh, earlier mm-hmm. this year. So like there, there's a pattern here, a historical pattern of of really bad calls against the Chiefs. So on the Seahawks, Seahawks, yeah, yeah. So 
what parallel universe or what would it be like in a parallel universe if in 2013 with a number one overall pick we didn't take Eric Fisher and we actually took Geno Smith? Like imagine how things imagine how different things would be now. Do you reckon do you reckon Geno Smith would have been a good quarterback if we'd draft? Because obviously we'd already traded for Alex Smith at this point. I think yeah. we had anyway. Yeah, we had already traded for Alex yeah, Smith yeah. um in 2013. So if we had drafted Gino Smith, which a lot of people were calling for. I was going to say there's a lot of people after him. A lot of people were calling for it. Where where do you reckon the Chiefs would be now? Do you reckon they would have a Super Bowl ring still, even with Gino Smith? Like, have you seen enough out of him this year to think, actually, if he was paired with Andy Reid for X amount of time from from being a young player, do you think he would have been a a serviceable to good quarterback that could lead a team to a championship? I think he would have been like the Alex Smith kind of quarterback not not actual style of player but i mean yeah. like he would have been a nice player to have that would have steadied that position 10 to 15 type range yeah you know and and we we wouldn't have to worry about that position that's how i think he's a good he's a good he's a good enough quarterback for that so the type of quarterback that you could win a title with if everything else fell into place yes if you've got everything else built around him after that you know he, he'll do a good job while you build around him yeah but you had to get everything else around him to really kind of elevate him into the playoffs, into the, you know, so I, I, I do think he would have been serviceable. I think he would have had a good career under Andy Reid. I really do. I think he would have. Yeah. It's a shame that, you know, he's, he's he obviously had the injuries and he's jumped from team to team, but he's a, he's a good talent. I've always liked Geno Smith. And there's always a soft spot in Chiefs Kingdom for, for Geno Smith as well, isn't there? Because I think a lot of people were thinking, yeah, it would have been great if we could have got him. But yeah. Eric Fisher got a Super Bowl ring at the end of the day, so we can't really look back on it too much, can we? Yeah, when you look at that draft class, we got Eric Fisher and Travis Kelsey out of it, so you can't really, yeah. you can't really complain, right? The greatest like, tight end of all time. Said, imagine you went back and now and said, "Oh, actually, we're going to take Travis Kelsey first overall in that in the 2013 draft." People would have laughed at you, but yeah, they would have. Yeah, that yeah. That, that goes to show what the draft actually is. It's actually that was a horrible draft, though, wasn't it? Awful, it was awful, horrible. awful draft. It was the worst draft. The first quarterback taken was EJ Manuel. <laughs> I think the first yeah. receiver taken was Taven Austin. Yeah. Like, if I remember rightly, I think the best player or the like. The most impactful player in the first round was Le'Veon Bell. I'm pretty sure. And then he, and then he was taken late, late in the first round. Like the 2013 draft was a historically bad draft class. And only oh. the Chiefs would have the number one pick in that that particular draft. Like the year before was Andrew Luck. And then <laughs> the year we had it was Eric Fisher. But on, on to Seahawks and, and Geno Smith in particular. Like, I like Geno. I, I, I think he is a good player and I, I I'm happy now that he's in a situation where he's appreciated mm. like to go to go in after Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson for as much of a wreck he is right like he was loved in Seattle right and yeah. his his play had obviously declined over the last year or so and people were kind of ready to move on to it but they, they Seattle still had a soft spot for him I'm sure if they could have made it work if they wanted to make it work out they would have made it work out. So he had such a hard gig to come into and follow Geno Smith. Obviously, they traded for Drew Locke as well mm. as part of the Russell Wilson trade. And no one knew who was going to be the star at the start of the year. Was it going to be Geno? Was it going to be Drew Locke? Obviously, Drew Locke got an injury that propelled Geno into, into the start and he hasn't looked back. And he has a couple of weapons in Tyler Lockett who might not play on Sunday. And obviously, DK Metcalf. And he's balling out. And I just think it's I just think it's hilarious that Russell Wilson can can leave the Seahawks and everyone talk about how Pete Carroll is this god-awful offensive mind, like they they, they they don't do anything right offensively in Seattle, like sack, I can't remember his name. Um I can't remember his it can annoy me now. The the coordinator <laughs> they sack sack the coordinator in Seattle. That the offense is crap, and all of a sudden they draft this rookie in Kenneth Walker, who's looking like going to be offensive rookie of the year. And they bring in Geno Smith, and then up until a few weeks ago, the Seattle Seahawks all of a sudden becomes this big play offense with with, with Geno Smith, Drew, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Kenneth Walker. I just think the turnaround offensively for Seattle. Uh, under Pete Carroll, minus Russell Wilson, has just been hilarious, but also entertaining to watch. Is it the offense that you're worried about against the Chiefs? Do you think? Uh, yeah, because I'm don't trust the Chiefs defense. Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. Like I don't, I don't fancy any of our corners' chances against DK Metcalf. Like in a straight up, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't like that matchup. But Kenneth Walker's back now. He was out for a few weeks. He's running the ball extremely well, and then um, 
like I said a minute ago, he's going to more than likely going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mm. Now, and that doesn't say a lot because it's not, it's kind of a, a talent poor offensive draft class, and a lot, especially in terms of quarterback as well. But, um, they, they do enough offensively. Yeah, they come unstuck against the San Francisco 49ers last week, but guess what? Every offense not led by Patrick Mahomes has come unstuck against the San Francisco 49ers defense. So you can't really read too much into it. Yeah, they're in a poor bit of form, but as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, who better to get your form back against than the Chiefs? Because, you know, we've done it for the Broncos and now we've done it for the Texans. So, yeah, I do worry about the Seahawks offense. I do think they cancel points. Yeah. It's just... Can the Chiefs do the same to the the Seahawks on the other side? Yeah, absolutely, they can. I always hate playing a team that is probably like a middle of the road team, but has come off actually playing a really good team, and they played against the uh, the, the San Francisco 49ers, didn't mm-hmm. they? Um, and obviously, they lost that game. 49ers snatched the uh, the, the division title there. Um, but I always hate that because they seem to carry it over from playing a really good team like that into playing against the Chiefs. And yeah. I feel like they might be fired up by that game, and that's what concerns me a little bit more about this game. This is very much a um, a trap game, I think, for the Chiefs. I think a lot of people are thinking that because Geno Smith is, uh, you know, um, he's on the decline. To be fair, yeah, he's on the he's, he's, he's on not the playing decline. as well. He's not as playing as well as he was. No, he's not. But like we said before, he can just take that just that one flick of something, some magic. And we've seen it a, a, a few times against, well, we've seen the Chiefs against the Broncos. We've seen them against the Texans struggling. Um, and these teams who are meant to be mediocre, really poor this year, mm. have been really putting up a lot of points, like 26, 27, 28 points. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that kind of worries you because if teams like that are scoring at will on the Chiefs, what are the Seahawks going to do with their weapons? That's the that's my issue here. Yeah, if, and if you look at the Seahawks, you know, like in some games, these are some of the scores that they've uh, they've put together in um, this so far this season. They scored forty against the Lions this year. They scored thirty two against the Saints. Um, they scored thirty seven against the Chargers. Twenty seven against the Giants. Thirty one against the Cardinals. Thirty four against the Raiders. Twenty seven against the Rams. Twenty four against the Panthers. Like, so they aren't exactly adverse to scoring points the Seahawks they can put up points okay sometimes they have lost those games like for example they scored 34 against the Raiders and they guess what they lost that game because their defense is so bad and their defense is bad and a lot of Seahawks fans I know one in particular will always tell you how bad the defense is which is not what you expect out of a Pete Carroll defense you always associate Pete Carroll with the Legion of Boom and you think not the Legion of Zoom the Legion of Boom (laughs) you associate them with charge you then Tom yeah and you expect a peak hour defense to be very good. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Chiefs are going to have problems scoring points. Um, I don't think the Seahawks are going to have trouble scoring points. I think the weather might come into it, though, and slow it down a little bit. I do I do expect to see a heavy dose of Kenneth Walker. I do expect to see a heavy dose of Isaiah Pacheco this Sunday. And um, Geno Smith and Patrick Holmes might keep their their hands in their little warmers in the front pouches a little bit more than we want them to than normal. Get the run game spiced up a bit for sure. Um, Right. Predictions. What you're going with. It's going to be high scoring, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be in the thirties. I think it's going to be something like, I don't know. I think before predictions, I think we need to talk about the fact that the Seahawks also have another rookie of the year candidate in their team as well. All right. Their cornerback. Oh Yeah. Yeah, he he's been very good so far this year. I just want to quick give a quick shout out to him. He's tied tied first with six interceptions. Like that's remember when we had Marcus Peters as this gonna say that's like, this, this, this cornerback that's making plays as a rookie. We used to love him. So Seahawks have that to pin their hopes on. I just don't think one cornerback can make that much of a difference against. He'd love, he'd love one from Mahomes, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, predictions. I'm going to go for a relatively low-scoring affair, despite what I just said about the both teams' ability to put up points, but it's mainly a weather-based prediction. Yeah. So I'm going to say the Chiefs win 27-20. Um, oh, right, okay. Which means that Harrison Butker will kick a field goal. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Which I don't want to see him doing, but I'm going to say 27-20. I think it's going to be a cold affair and I, um, a uh, lot of running the football. I think it's going to be like, 33-31. It's going to be one of those games. I mean, after seeing what we saw from the Texans uh, taking us into overtime, I just I just fear, fear that we're just going to be leaking points again and Mahomes is just going to have to try and 
you know, outscore them as best he can, you know. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, it's going to be take the over on this one, I would say. Would you agree with that? I don't know what the over is, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's anything like 52 points, I'm taking the over on that. Yeah, um, I'd probably take the under. It's the holiday season and the Kansas City Chiefs are ringing it in in traditional fashion. They're AFC West champions for the seventh consecutive season, Mark Gunnels. Seven straight division titles for Kansas City. It's tied with the Los Angeles Rams for the second longest streak of division titles. In NFL history, the Rams did that in L.A. from 73 to 79. Been quite a long time since that happened. I think the number one streak is the Patriots. uh, I would uh, would imagine. (laughs) In their run of dynasty, I think they had 12 straight. Somebody fact check me on that and get back to me. But when you think about seven straight titles, when you think about Andy Reid's time here in Kansas City, when you think about Patrick Mahomes taking the torch from Alex Smith and all the success they've had here in this run, uh, what comes to mind, man? Well, first of all, it's easy to take this for granted, man, especially, you know, you've done it so many times. You won a Super Bowl now. You've been the four straight AFC title games. The standard is much higher than just winning the AFC West title. So I can see why some Chiefs fans have become spoiled. And it's like, well, this is what we do. This is like this is like on the calendar, like how Christmas comes every year on the 25th of December. The Chiefs win, this, win the AFC West around this time of the year. So it's kind of like it's you know it's going to happen. But at the same time, you know, you got to sit back and you can't take it for granted, even though it's so easy to do because this is not normal. Like you just mentioned, this is the second longest streak in NFL history. This is not normal. So I can understand, you know, especially the frustration after having a close game against Houston. You know, Chiefs fans are so tired of it. They want to just blow somebody out for once. So I can see why the celebration may have been a little soured just because of the performance you had in that particular game. But just look at big picture, man. You know, Andy Reid's not going to be coaching here forever. It may feel like it, but Mahomes won't be the quarterback forever, even though it's probably another 10 years or so. But it won't be forever. (laughs) Now, Travis Kelsey, his clock is ticking. He won't be the tight end here forever. So got to take these, man, cherish it, sit back. But obviously, the main goal is going back to the championship game, going to the Super Bowl. But in order to do that, this is the first step because you want to get the one seed. And you can't get the one seed without winning your own division. So this is the first step in the process with many more to come. Don't take it for granted. I often tweet that whenever Mahomes has a Mahomes magic S play. I think the last time I did that when he had the flip to McKinnon in Denver. Man, seven straight golden era of Chiefs football, bar none. I remember saying that to one of my friends here in KC who's a lifelong Chiefs fan after they made the Super Bowl against Tampa. I mean, I, I mean, even then, going back-to-back with the potential of running it back, like that was before we even knew what the outcome was. When you, when you take a step back, as you mentioned, grand scheme of things, take a bird's-eye view, take a treetop view, eight straight seasons of 10-plus wins or more, seven straight division titles, four straight AFC title games, like, this is not this is not this is not normal in, in the words of Mark Gunnels. And I had fans tweeting at me like, oh, man, I remember when we were relieved to win games like this in Houston. You know, like I remember when we when this was like, yeah, like we, we won a big one in overtime. Now, like it almost felt like a loss. It almost felt like a loss at the end of the day. I remember wanting the Chargers to win in prime time last week because I'm like, you don't want to clinch a division on a plane flight home. You don't want to clinch a division. You know, you want to go out there. And as you said, blow a team out, play your best football, and then have the hats and the shirts and all that celebration. But it didn't work out that way. And and in a few years, you won't remember the ugly win in Houston. You'll remember how this season ended. And hopefully for Chiefs Kingdom, uh, it's it's in Arizona, Mark. Yeah, man, you'll be there. So I'm speaking that into existence. You'll be there. I plan on being there. So it's going to be a party in Glendale. Can't wait. So from a Lombardi trophy to maybe some other hardware, Patrick Mahomes, the, the leader in the clubhouse for this year's MVP award, and a couple reasons why. Obviously, Mahomes had a dazzling performance in Houston, only five incompletions on the day. And that paired with Jalen Hurts not only having the shoulder injury that he sustained, but also throwing, uh, having a kind of a sloppy first half in his game, even though they pulled through. A couple stats on Mahomes, and then I'll toss it to you with, uh, with an easy question here. Mahomes leads the NFL in passing yards, 4,496. 
passing touchdowns and 35. And it's just the fifth quarterback in league history with 35 touchdown passes in four or more seasons. So the question to you, Mark Gunnels, is is this Patrick Mahomes' MVP to lose now with three weeks left in the regular season? Yeah, I think so, especially because Jalen Hurts is most likely not going to play this week. You know, missing a game in, when a race when a race is so tight as it is and numbers mean so much, it, it's going to hurt a lot, especially if Gardner Minshew goes out there and beats the Cowboys, which is possible. He's a very capable backup because then the narrative of, you know, it's the team around Jalen Hurts would really have some merit, right, if they end up winning that game in Dallas without Jalen Hurts. So that actually hurts his case, no pun intended. So I will say, uh, you know, if the season ended, you like that, didn't you? You're so <laughs> will, corny, though. Yeah, you're I so will. corny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's good for TV, man. You know what it is. Uh, so anyway, I, I will say this, though, man. If the season ended today, just sit back, like you said, don't take it for granted, sit back from a bird's eye view in Aaron Ladd's voice. Look at Mahomes' stats. That's a season's worth of stats already. That's a career year right now as it stands for a lot of quarterbacks. 35 touchdowns, over 4,400 passing yards. Yeah, he's like 4,500, yeah. I mean, my gosh. And I looked it up today. He needs 983 yards in these next three games to pass Peyton Manning for the most passing yards in the season. Granted, you have the extra game, so a little unfair to Peyton and his record. But, hey, it is what it is. And he would have to average 327 over the next three games to pass Peyton Manning. It's so doable. Far, so far on the year, he's averaging 321. So it's very, very within reach. And something tells me if he's within striking distance, which he should be by week 18 against the Raiders in Vegas, I think they're going to try to push him to get that record if, if they can. So I think it'll be a little gangsmanship there against your arch rival. So I do, I do think he will break that record. He's going to have over, over 40 touchdowns. What maybe another pick or two would just say that just for just to be fair. It's no, gonna it's gonna happen. Yeah, you're right. It's gonna be hard not to give him the MVP, man. It really is, especially if they finish the season 14 and three. I, I don't see how he, he doesn't win it if he plays pretty clean these next three games. I was trying to quickly Google the odds. It's Mahomes, Hurts, Burrow, and Allen, your top four for MVP right now. And one more stat from NFL and CBS. It's the Chiefs offensive ranks, of course, led by quarterback Patrick Mahomes. First in all of these statistics, points per game, yards per game, yards per play, passing yards per game, first downs per game, third down conversion percentage and fourth down conversion percentage. I I, I think we talk a lot about MVPs. It's a narrative driven award. I mean, like these are awards, especially in the NBA. I, I guess you could say also in the NFL where there is a bit of fatigue after you've already won one, you know, like it's like, all right, it's somebody else's turn. We've heard your story. It's a great story. Congratulations. We know you're awesome. We hear these Mahomes stats every week. Now it's Jalen Hurts's turn or now it's somebody else who's having a good year. It's the best quarterback on the but best you know, team. My only pushback to that is, and I typically agree with that argument. But why did Aaron Rodgers win back-to-back years when he's already won two before that? He has four altogether in his career, and he won two in a row the last two years. So that's why I'm confused on that narrative, because why would he win two straight years? I think ultimately, and we saw the NBA kind of come up with some new awards, right? Or like rename some of the awards, or like they'll have a couple different things, right? Like there's going to have to be a shift in how we think through these awards, what does most valuable player really mean? I've seen the Ravens offense since, since Lamar Jackson has left. He seems like the most valuable player to his team because they can't do anything when he's not out there. Uh, Jalen Hurts has been great. Jalen Hurts has been amazing. Statistically, Patrick Mahomes is having a better year. And as you said, if he breaks that Peyton Manning record, it'd be hard to deny him those facts. I think if we had Patrick Mahomes on here and his Wi-Fi was working and everything was going smoothly, he would say, I don't care about the MVP award. I only really want to win a Lombardi trophy, but he wants this MVP award. I think he's going to do everything in his power to cap off this year in the right way. So what's your take on what I said about the Eagles? If Minshew goes out there and wins this week against Dallas, what does that do for Hurts and the MVP? It, it, it has nothing to do with Minshew for me. I think it just has everything to do with him not being out there. You can't miss games at this point in time if you're – it doesn't matter. It, yeah. it, 
either way, I think, for, for Hurts. If Minshew balls out, it hurts him. If he goes out there and he doesn't play well, it hurts him as well because he's not out there. Yeah, and you're it's, missing stats, yeah. Exactly. It, it's kind of like the Carson Wentz thing, too. I, I remember when he was balling out that year, and then, you know, you missed the rest of the year, and you, you're forgotten in history. But I think Patrick Mahomes has a <laughs> has a solid chance. All right, we do this every single week. When the Chiefs have the ball. Listen, the madness has to stop. This turning the ball over, I I really do not give a rip about anything else that happens in this game offensively for the Chiefs. Well, I mean, I I, I want want them to score points to win. But I like there is nothing. I I don't care. Hey, Kadarius Tony came back another week for him. We'll see. We'll see what happens with McCole Hardman. We'll we'll see the running game. Hey, how the offensive line? What? There is nothing that I care about more than I am paying attention to more in this game than can they play a game without turning the damn thing over? Can they do that? Is it is it possible? I know that BK is normally the stat monger, but I'd like to I'd like to throw one out there. Didn't take me very long to find or to count. In the last six games, they got thirty. 13 offensive turnovers. 13. And to be honest with you, hell, they've only lost one of the games. But they got 13 offensive turnovers. Like, we can talk about, and I, and I said this a little bit last week, we can talk about the defense. We can talk about a lot of stuff. 13? This ain't, this ain't just a one-off. This is a trend. This is what you're doing. And they're getting multiple pops a game. Like it, you, I mean, it's almost you walk in, she's gonna give you two. Now, will you take three? Like, I mean, it, it and, and it's changing the game. Like, the, like the, the Texans stink, but the thing that kept them in that game, you talked about the penalties, but Isaiah Pacheco fumbling the ball on the 17th. That's a hard hit, but my goodness, hold on to the football. Juju Smith Schuster, this was about to be a drive that I think was gonna break the backs of the Texans and they're probably going to go up double digits there. And then probably now, now, now the Texans got to throw it with Davis mills and the run is out. And now the, the best part of the defense is available. Nope. Midfield Juju is fumbling the ball. Like that's just that game. The reason why the Broncos, like I think the number one main reason amongst anything that the Broncos and the Texans stayed in those games it's because they got five turnovers against those teams. And then they're and they're turning them into big points, big boy points, sixes. Like that, the, the madness has to stop, dude. And listen, Seattle's all Seattle's defense stinks. The madness has to stop. Stop turning the football over. Pat, now what Pat this past week? Now it's everybody taking the turns, grabbing the ball. Just stop turning it over. The one loss they had is directly, in my opinion, turned or it turned on the turnover from Kelsey, the fumble there. They have got to stop this. Every game they're giving it away. The turnovers are the story of the season thus far. right? And it's weird because it was the story of the season last, last year. year. Yeah. And, and last year it was all of the weird, the balls popping up off the receiver's hands. And you haven't seen as much of that this year. But like, Ron, you said I'm the stat boy over here, right? I've got a yeah, stat for you. In this stretch that you're talking about, the Chiefs have the second most turnovers in the NFL. You know who's number one in that stretch? Who? It's your squad, the Houston Texans. They've got 16 squad. turnovers uh, over the last eight weeks. The Kansas, <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs are second in the NFL. You know who's number one in that stretch in yards per play? The Kansas Ooh. City Chiefs. The Chiefs are number one in the NFL. They're averaging six and a half yards per play in this stretch of games. Second is the Miami Dolphins at 6.2. Third is the Philadelphia Eagles at 6. Like, they are lapping the field when it comes to yards per play. The funny part about this, too, defensively, they are 6th in yards per play allowed. They're actually not allowing that many yards on a per-play basis. They've been okay, but they're not getting those havoc plays that we talked about. And they're turning the ball over so damn much that they're allowing their opponents to be in good position to be able to score on the ensuing possession. And BK, it's sort of when the Chiefs turn it over sometimes, I mean, they turn it over. They turn it over in just the the most inopportune times and the worst places on the field for their team. Just think about their losses, the Colts. The thing kicked off with the Sky Moore. 
turnover that was inside in the red zone right off the bat, right? This happened last week, right off the bat. In the, I mean, they turn it over. They turn it over. And well, a lot they, of the time, Bronson, this is narrative-based, but it feels this way. You can tell me if you agree or disagree, but it feels like a lot of the time when they turn it over, it's when they're getting ready to potentially extend that lead out to be like a insurmountable lead, where they're getting ready to go up by three scores and then, boom, turnover to bring it back to a one-score game. It's like, man, if you could just pull away in some of these games, we'd be having a totally different conversation where we're talking about, hey, man, this might be the best offense in terms of an efficiency basis that we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era. And defensively, yeah, they don't make a ton of plays, but you know they're they're not terrible out there. They've got some rookie corners that are doing some good stuff. But instead, because of the turnovers, we can't even have those conversations right now because it's just impossible to overlook what's happening. No, I, 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 I mean, sir, it's to me, it, it's just, it's insane. I, yeah. I, I just, I mean, it is, it is the story of why this thing looks so bad and the way they're doing it. I think you said it, sir, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was at the Denver. I don't think. Maybe you said it in more particular, Patrick. You don't think he's going to turn the ball over like that because he hadn't done it a lot. Man, I, I didn't think it was going to be like. But they are. I mean, it's just like, all right, man. We're coming in. We're going to give it to you. But, like, what I would say is that we've got a large enough sample size that this isn't just, like, a fluke thing where we talk about turnovers in the NFL where, you know, they come in waves or something like this. Like, this is a trend offensively and defensively. Like, they have an issue turning the football over, and they have a massive issue creating turnovers. We've got a large enough sample size to say that is an established fact at this point. But what I'm more confident in is the offense figuring out how to stop turning the football yeah. over than I am I the defense so. creating turnovers. No, they so have I, to. Somebody's I, got to. I hope that wave is coming. Like, I hope there is a positive regression wave for the offensive turnovers because I think that they're at least more than capable of it. Like, you know, that costly Travis Kelsey fumble. Like, you're going to bank on Travis Kelsey not fumbling the football more often than not. Hopefully the other guys who have, you know, lost some lost some bad fumbles here over the last few weeks, you get that stuff figured out and at least you can bank on the fact like cuz Spags talked about that even a little bit this week like the Chiefs really having an issue when the offense turns the football over, stopping the offense once they take that field, once you have that quick turnaround. And I think it would help the defense if the offense can do that. And it's the more fixable problem, I think. So they just have to figure out how to stop doing it. Let's string a couple of games together in a row here at the end of the season without turning the football over offensively. And I think you'll feel a little bit better heading into the playoffs. You know what? I almost won't even be greedy. I'll settle for just one turnover. (laughs) Just one in the next three games? Just one in the first half. I mean, I'll I'll settle for for that because it's just I mean it's thirteen in the last six games. I mean, you got to be kidding me! Like what? I mean, my goodness! And I wonder. I didn't go as as far. I wonder how many of those thirteen have turned into seven. And it's it's because the last two weeks, I feel too. like all of them have. <laughs> I feel like almost all of them have. I, I bet you. I bet you Willie Gay and Chris Jones over there thinking, hell, why don't y'all just take it all the way back? Yeah, just yeah. Just pick six this sucker so we don't have to come out here and then, mm-hmm. and then us look here. Now, uh, we'll get to the defense. I will say, like, I mean, you don't have to allow touchdowns every time. I mean, it's I mean, they turn it over. You could you could hold some teams to field goals and not let them march all the way down. But whatever. They've got to fix that. I, I think another thing we've talked about, BK, a bit, and, and I think it's a good conversation, to have and and maybe to look at this this week too as they play the Seahawks when they have the ball is like we're there's one major thing that's that seems seems to maybe it's just us we're watching it but seems to escape uh the the Chiefs offense they're number one across the board in a lot of things but I know we've talked about the the big play seems to not be as as much a part of their offense and I feel like they've had misses. I feel like they've been there. They just seem to have struggled all year to connect on that. Who was it last week? Was it uh, Justin Watson that dropped the the dime pass from Patrick Mahomes? It was Justin Watson that dropped one, and then Mahomes just missed uh, MVS uh, early in that game where that could have been another uh, another big play where he was open, and that, I mean, he just threw it short. But and, yeah. and that's 
that's the kind of stuff they've just they've got to be able to figure it out. Last week, the longest pass play went for 21 yards, and it was a broken play that went to Jarek McKinnon. And it feels like that's kind of been the theme lately. Is Jarek McKinnon is the one that's their explosive player in the passing game? I'm not saying they got to be throwing it left and right deep down the field this year. If you look at the numbers, they're like pretty similar in terms of their their completion percentage attempts all that stuff to what they were a year ago because people are just playing differently in the NFL now than they were a few years ago I think the biggest thing Ron is they're not scoring on their deep plays this year here's Patrick Mahomes passing your uh passing touchdowns on passes that traveled 20 or more yards down the field in his career 2018 15 of them 2019 15 of them 2020 13 last year nine this year three touchdowns on passes that traveled 20 or more yards down the field. So some of this is just a feel thing where we're so used to them being able to connect on those deep balls that end up in the end zone. And this year we just have not seen it. It's happened three times all season long. I'd like to see that more incorporated into their passing game. And I I do think it is something that like against the Seahawks, you should be able to get that. Tariq Woolen is very, very good. Their other corners are not particularly good. And then against the Raiders, you should be able to hit on a couple of those as well. So it is something that I do think down the stretch, they should be able to have some success with. Man, sir, I know you don't want to hear it, but it feels like, boy, they, they really miss McCole Hardman. And that, and that element of what we're talking about here. Not I, just. I'm happy to admit that. I, no, I, I, they need not. him. Okay. They need you don't him. Have to I, lie. Okay. It's. I, I wish they would Finally. use Sky. I. I think that Sky Moore is a better player than he's been given an opportunity to show this season. But he isn't explosive in, in the way that McCall Hardman. Is. He's not the type of like red zone weapon that McCall yeah. Hardman is once they get inside the ten yard line. So they need him at least for that. The fear. This. The fear of the speed and what potentially he could be doing on a play opens up not just him but opens up everybody else for for down the field plays and that element not being there has just i mean especially a lot of different th- stages of their offense but especially that the big play element i mean he is i mean they're missing him and and it is really really evident that that his his explosiveness is is kind of hurting his team when it comes to that 